80s Welcome to 80sography, 80s music pulled apart, dissected and lovingly reassembled with scotch tape and blue tack, artiste by artiste. And we are back, and we are back with a big one for me. Definitely one of the bands that define the 80s, both for me and for many people. Tears for Fears. Roland Orzabal, songwriting, vocals, guitars, keyboards, etc. Bonjour, c'est Roland de Tears for Fears. And Kurt Smith. Hello, this is Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears. Bass, vocals, then occasional vocals, then we'll let you know when you can have your vocal to sod off Kurt. We'll get to that later. So where are the boys pre-1980s? The historian Professor Gripweed. Roland performed as Baker Brothers with school friend John Baker in 1977 at the age of 16. Thank you, Professor. Baker Brothers, not Orzable Brothers. Due to ease of reference or name, or was this the last time Roland played Second Banana? Let's face it, if the duo had been him and Kurt, there's no way they would have been the Smith Brothers. John Baker would later return to do backing vocals for Break It Down Again in the early 90s. That was a nice callback. Roland and Kurt had met when they were both 13. I heard him sing along to um, a Blue, Blue Oyster Cult record called The Last Days of May. And uh, I thought, hmm, that sounds quite good. And so we teamed up then, and it's been on and off. They first met as schoolmates at age 13 in an English town called Bath, west of London. Kurt thought I was... Um, French. French. Bonjour, c'est Roland. And I'd come over on a French exchange with his with the mate of his, and I thought he was an Indian. <laughs> it, was, it was the turban I was wearing yeah. at the time that fooled yeah. uh, They formed a band and named them Graduate, not The Graduate. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? But after The Graduate, if that made sense, because they used to perform Mrs. Robinson at their gigs. Picked up a drummer and a keyboard player, the Kurt, who Roland had met, was last to join and he had to learn the bass to do so. So we, we went our separate ways. He then formed this band Graduate. Not The Graduate which was a five-piece band and he hated the bass player and wanted someone else to sing so then Ronan came back and said you know could you learn to play bass and then come join the band um, wow. so I learned to play bass when I was uh, 16 and a half 17 obviously I'm a singer so graduate not the graduate was formed with me in it we had to wait for Roland to turn 18 he's a couple of months younger than me we signed a record deal on his 18th birthday in 1979 he signed a publishing deal with Tony Downtown. Hatch that's where we join our would-be new 80s Fab Five. 1980. So, graduate, not the graduate. Mrs. Robinson, do you think we could say a few words to each other first this time? 
released their debut album, Acting My Age, in January. And in April, they released the single Elvis Should Play Scar. Catch me if you can. Costello, not Presley. Though not easy to define why he should play Scar from the lyrics. Got to number 82 in the UK, but was a hit in Spain. I am from Barcelona. And they toured with Judy Tzuk. 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 And the album was released shortly afterwards. But that and the future singles made no impact. The music was very competent. Generic early 80s Scar, new wave influence pop. Uh, not much here to suggest pop behemoths. 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 What? What is that you're saying? <laughs> in waiting, but bearing in mind they were still teenagers when it was recorded, then fair dues. Play a few quick tracks as Ever Met a Day? Way too jaunty for anything that had TFF DNA in it. That's a bit bouncy, isn't it? Sounds like a kids' TV theme. Dancing Nights, uh, what voice is this? This attempt to Dreadlock Holiday, bearing in mind that single was released about two years before, from 78. And Sick and Tired. Only instance in the 80s of a completely self-written song from Kurt. It's, it's fine. I had the um, album on 10-inch. It's like an 8-track version. Because you know when you get into a band and then you start devouring everything they released before, including 10-inch albums from their previous band. And I played it and I was like, what the fuck is this? It's like, this isn't, this isn't hurting. This isn't a mad world. This isn't shout. It's written all this, most of the songs are written by Roland Orzabal, like The Hurting, but it's not the same. And bearing in mind, it's like a year later they started recording this Tears of Fears. It's a huge level of growth from that band to Tears of Fears. I think we, we did a rather silly thing and we went touring in Germany, um, very small shows and um, lugging our own equipment around so we were roadies and the band and we would have these mod outfits when we would play live at the shows and then we would put on these blue boiler suits we would break down the PA and I think Kurt and I were sharing a room at the time and we we both said to each other I, I don't think this is what we signed up for so after a tour of Germany Orzabal and Smith packed in graduate not the graduate and moved on to newer, better, and brighter pastures, courtesy of Arthur Janov. Nineteen eighty-one. So, the remnants of Graduate, not the Graduate, dragged on to nineteen eighty-one, including recording demos with a certain Ian Stanley, 
they moved on, which is what separates the great from the adequate. Those that make it to those that don't and actually have a sustainable career. What separates the Beatles from Rory Storm and the Hurricanes? We were Rory and the Hurricanes. A discovered primal scream in the works of Arthur Janoff. We have needs that we're all born with, and that when those basic needs are not met, we hurt. And when that hurt is big enough, it's imprinted in the system and changes our whole physiologic system. And then what our therapy does is go back to those early brains, the hurt brain, and relive the, the pain and get it out of the system. Because meanwhile, the pain is being held in storage and just waiting for its exit, so to speak. So primal therapy was a way of accessing our feeling brain and down below even the feeling brain into the brainstem to get to all the hurts that started very early in our lives and bring them up to, the, to consciousness for connection and integration and formed a new b around it, basically. History of Headaches. Oh, wait, that's not right. So, so History of Headaches was just was a just thought. A, was a thought <laughs> of a name of a band, and we decided on Tears for Fears in the end, and that actually came from an Arthur Janov book called The Prisoners of Pain, going back to primal theory. So we felt it all kind of tied together. Now, if anyone was the fifth Beatle, if you will, of Tears for Fears, the third tf ever, third tier? The third tier... Uh, it'd probably be Ian Stanley. The first three demos we made were Power Shelter, Mad World, and Change. And they obviously went very well. First single, Suffer the Children. We did it in the studio in Bath with David Lord. And it was our first encounter with synthesizers. And that really put us on the road to what we were doing, consequently. That it was that track and another track called Pale Shelter, which um, we, was another was a demo that got us to deal with David Lord produced, amongst other things, Peter Gable's fourth album, Shot the Monkey on It, and The Big Express by XTC, and was convicted of keeping a brothel in 2015. <laughs> oh my lord. Oh, I say. Single was released in November and tanked. We'll cover it in more detail when we get to the album. But, you could, but this version clearly wasn't the version. It was. You can hear it, it's a good song still, but it's not quite there. It, it sounds like a demo. You can, you can hear that more work needs to be done on it. Around this time, the boys worked with Neon, a group consisted of Pete Byrne, who was later lead singer of Naked Eyes, who had a top 10 hit in the US with a cover of All This Something There to Remind Me. Rob Fisher, who was also in Naked Eyes and later of Climby Fisher, sadly died quite young in his 40s. And Manny Elias on drums, 
who would later be drummer for Tears of Fears. Where's my drum, Batman? And Neil Taylor was also in the band and who would tour with Tears for Fears and also did the guitar solo on Everybody Wants to Rule the World. World? World. World? Everybody Wants to Rule the World! They recorded two tracks that were never released, Price You Pay and Victims of Fact. basically disbanded the band and separated into the two bands followed. Naked Fears and Tears in Your Eyes. 1982. They tried again with Pearl Shelter, this time with a version produced by Mike Howlett. Released in March, but again flopperoony time. Didn't seem to provide what they were looking for. Mike Hallett's a lovely chap, I love him dearly. But I mean there are different kinds of producers. Producers that actually help you and are objective and producers that, that really do produce you and you don't have a lot of say in it. And Mike Hallett was one of those producers that, that heard things a certain way and, and decided to do them that way. And um, we couldn't work under that with that kind of person because we have so many strong ideas of our own. So um, it didn't work out with Mike Hale, although Pearl Shelter did come out really well. The, the rest of the recordings with him didn't work out very well. Been a pretty successful 80s as a producer. Hell Shelter single had three songs you could consider embryonic. You had this early version of Power Shelter, the B-side of The Prisoner, both of which would be recorded for the album. And We Are Broken, which of course was re-recorded the second album. The title of the song, Pearl Shelter, is a reference to Pearl Shelter Scene, 1941 drawing by British sculptor Henry Moore. I'm pointing to a picture of it. It doesn't really work in this audio format. Enter uh, another fifth Beatle, Chris Hughes. The fourth tier, if you will. Another key component to the 80s Tears of Fear story. The Ringo, in a sense, as he was a drummer of Adam the Ants. He was Merrick and he was also their producer. Had a big part with their distinctive drum sound. And he was to produce The Hurting, Tears of Fear's debut album with Ross Cullum. But in this version, it was a flop. They had one more chance, it would seem, and that third chance was Mad World. We went on to do 
Power Shelter with Mike Howlett. For a B-side, we had this song, Bunt Too Sure About, called Mad World. And we, we spent two weeks doing the demo. And at the end of it, we felt it was probably a bit too good for a B-side. We'd had a much better B-side anyway, which was called The Prisoner. So that's how Mad World started. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces. Threatened to live for their daily races, going nowhere, going nowhere. Their tears are filling up their glasses, no expression, no expression. Have my head, I want to drown myself. I don't buy when Ronan says it was originally a B-side. None of their B-sides for the first two albums really were songs. They're very much B-sides. We didn't need a drummer. There was the Ling drum machine, you know, and uh, we didn't need other players. We could program the keyboard. Um, you didn't need complicated guitar lines. You could literally, as Ronan said, just, you know, that's it. I mean, Mad World is just a bass synth, pretty much. Inspired by Duran Duran's Girls on Film, where New Wave meets New Romantic. Roland also found inspiration elsewhere. I was living in a, an apartment in Central Bath. Bath. I was a big fan of the Paul Simon song, Still Crazy After All These Years. Now I sit by my window and I watch the cars. He goes, I sit by the window and I watch the cars. I'm sure I'll do some damage one fine day. So Mad World's pretty much the same. It's like sitting in the window of this uh, apartment and watching everyone go about their business nine to five. I mean, what's there to say about this song? You know, it's a classic, it's a great song. Playlist song, obviously. What I don't mean is it's great to die, you know, that's that's really cool. But what I mean is that dreams are the symbols and they are images, uh -huh. okay, of things that you repress. Right. Okay. I believe that the things we repress shape our behavior. And what I also believe is that things that we repress shape our dreams and images. Okay. Now, you can get a lot out of a dream. You can wake up after having a great dream and go, wow, that's great and feel great and relieved. Now, the heavier dreams get rid of the more, get rid of more tension, okay? Now, so what I'm saying, the dreams in which I'm dying, because they're heavy dreams, are the best ones. Uh-huh. That's uh -huh. what I'm saying. I gotcha. So Kurt has the vocals on the singles, the hit ones anyway, and this song demonstrates why that's a smart move. There's a soft neutrality to his voice that makes it palatable and accessible. A Roland vocal here would be a bit overbearing. Reference to Halajian world in the lyrics. Halajian. 
I used to th- I used to think as a kid listening to it, it was some primal scream reference. It was some primal scream technique, the Halagian technique or something. Uh, but it wasn't. It was just a made-up word. Apparently, the producers invented the planet Halage in the studio. <laughs> the fun they must have had. And uh, as an ad lib on one take, Kurt sang Halagian, and they kept it in. The B-side was an early version of Ideas as Opiates. Ideas as Opiates. What is that you're saying? Yeah, with a sax version on the 12-inch, which for some reason wasn't included in the uh, 30th. So this was the breakthrough they were looking for, a massive hit, number three in the UK, and the 12th best-selling single of 1982. Anyway, we, Mad World was released, and we were expecting it to do get to about number 50 in the English charts, and hopefully we'd follow that up with something stronger. But it was a very, very big surprise when it eventually ended up at number three and stayed there for three weeks in England. We were recording the album, and I remember each week ringing up, and finding out what number it was that week, and you know, number three, and it stayed number three, and then we'd all presumed it had gone down, and I, I remember the, the day I rang again and came into the kitchen and said it's still number three, and everyone was shocked. The boys were on their way. Where are we going, fellas? To the toppermost of the poppermost. And of course there was the Gary Jules Donnie Darko cover, which was massive in the UK, it was the Christmas number one, 2003, four? Five. Uh, clarification quarter. The cover version by Michael Andrews and Gary Jules was the Christmas number one in the UK in 2003. The dreams in which I nudged the ball out of play while playing right back for Colchester United against Leighton Orient in a thrilling 1-1 draw in the quarter-finals of the Autoglass Trophy, ensuring the game will go into extra time, is the best I've ever had. There's so many covers in this song. I would say about 95% of them are covers of the Gary Jules version, which is Tracy Ritonte, because it's a cover of a cover, basically. I mean, could people be less creative? So The Hurting, the WLP, was finally released in March on the back of the breakthrough success of Mad World. We, we spent so long doing The Hurting, the first record, mm. and I've said this a million times, that by the end of the record, Kurt and I were professionals, and from then on we were doing a job. Uh. Doing a job. Ooh. Job. Yeah. The cover. A child called Gebby, also from Bath. Bath. Uh, such an iconic and effective image. Kid on floor, head in hands against white background. I love the font too. Uh, the font is... Delphine. I mean the lettering, he's not in a church. <laughs> I still would have his head in his hands then, wouldn't he? <laughs> Especially with the Catholic church. 
Uh, start with the title track, The Hurting. For some reason, I always assumed Kurt sang this bit. But obviously it's Roland. That's a great hook, isn't it? It's very effective having them both sing it. it makes it a communal, shared experience that these are lyrics that can apply to everyone. They're universal in their themes, while being very emotionally specific. This is everything you want a title track to do. It sets up the mood of the album. It also conveys the lyrical theme. As Roland once stated, this is truly a concept album, more so than, say, Sgt. Pepper, and that thematically every song fits. And as Roland said in an interview, The Hurting was one thing pure Janov. Hurt Brain. It's a playlist song, it's a perfect start to the album. And this could have been another Roland trope, is that he does good middle eights. That is a great section, that bit. I love that bit of the song. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes! Uh, so we have, we have a, a trope. Huh. The Roland Jang. There's a lot of this with these guitars. To punctuate the song with a jang. Jang! <laughs> tears and or fears lyric trope. Uh, in this instance is tears. So there's another trope we have to consider, which is the sample one. Bearing in mind we're talking about two very English white guys from Bath who made three albums in the 80s. There are a lot of tracks in the present day that have sampled their music. This one isn't. This is probably the, the first track to sample them. Uh, the drums from The Hurting were used by Major of Ultravox, ubiquitous in the 80s, especially in the UK and Europe, almost as much as Phil Collins. And yes, these are drums from The Hurting for Do They Know It's Christmas. One of the best-selling singles of all time. Yeah. Track two, Mad World, we've already covered. But it was enjoyable to record, and I think everyone at the time just thought it would be a foot in the door for us, you know, in the future, as opposed to a big hit. And we were all shocked. Yes, playlist song. Great. But I forgot the uh, Tears, Fears lyric trope. That's Tears. And Fears. So Mad World, as you can imagine, we have the sample trope, you know, many to choose from, so I did a bunch. 
they heard Nowhere by DJ Cruelty, Cruelty, Crew hyphen letter L hyphen letter T, Cruelty, see what he did there? The Mobius by Orbital, third of them, Strictly Called by the Dream Team, and Fall, A Virgin of Falling by The Mob, that's the Julie Cruz song from Twin Peaks. I got that as a single in the day, it was like that, very nice, very ethereal, moody. We're talking about this crisis of faith and the need to believe in something more than pale shelter, which faith seems to be to you. Well, not exactly. Pale shelters, again, it's a love song as such, but it's about, it's just about being unsure. Pale Shelter. This is the Roland Jangtrop. This is as perfect a pop song as you could get in 1983, or indeed in any other year for that matter. And you have that juxtaposition. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Between the breeziness of the melody and arrangement, and the tension of the lyric, and this just works on every level. I never tire of hearing this. I think it's just a fantastic song, and has a great outro too. And yes, this is the video where Roland takes a paper plane in the eye. Cut. There's a scene in Pale Shelter where um, there's a lot of paper planes going around. I think Roland gets hit in the yeah, eye. Cops it in the eye, yeah. That was an uh, unintentional boo-boo that you left right. in, right? We had, to, we had to stop filming for half an hour because it really got right into his eye. It really hurt. Uh, the song was almost covered by Paul Young, but he decided against it in the end. It was never released until some reissue of No Parley. Uh, demo remains. Which is nice, they're not sure about the back of vocals. More more. Sure you you So we have the sample trope. This is Secrets by The Weekend. Weekend. Doesn't bother the 30. Weekend. 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 I actually like it, I think it's a really good song. It's a good use of the hook as well. It's 
uses the end of chorus hook quite effectively. So yeah, I like this one. for Ideas as Opiates, rather than bringing it down a notch. It came from a B-side and it sounds it, to be honest. I quite like it. It's not like I dislike the song, it's just I know they felt this was necessary to the album as a mood shift, but it reminds me of a Credit House album, um, Temple of Low Men, which is similar. It's got ten tracks. There's one track on each side that just slightly lets the side down, in that the songs on the album as a whole are of such a high quality that when you get a couple of average tracks that stick out and just musically don't quite fit they just stick out like a sore thumb and this album is the same they're not necessarily bad songs they just stand out they just stand out not in a good way fair enough Roland surprising or maybe not surprisingly actually considering the drum pattern to the song there are quite a few samples of this uh, I chose the most famous by Drake Lust for Life Saucy. I'm trying to do it all tonight. I got plans. I got a certain lust for life. And as it stands, everything is going as right as it can. They trying to shoot down my flight before it lands. Track five, Memories Fade. There's only need, I love your need. So much I'm losing me. I cannot see the reason for the pain. With hungry joy, I'll be your toy. Just hoping you will play without the hope my body starts to fail memories fade but the sky still lingers goodbye my friend will I ever live again memories fade but the sky still Roland Jengtrope. I think some of the lyrics I pat myself on the back from for an 18 year old to write still stand up today. I mean, we, I'm 57, we play Memories Fade from The Hurting Live and the lyrics are just... I love them. Uh, so you have the sample trope, famous one, Coldest Winter by Kanye West. 
and um, didn't actually credit them initially. And he's a very naughty boy, not just for the MAGA hat. I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside? But he initially hadn't credited them for it, specifically hadn't credited Roland as the writer. Uh, when you listen to it, it's quite incredible because basically the whole chorus melody was a very similar lyric. On lonely nights I start to fade On lonely nights I start to fade Her love's a thousand miles away Her love's a thousand miles away Memories made in the coldest winter Remedied after the boys sent a strongly worded letter. It's quite nice. Yeah. What a chorus on this one. Oh, great vocal. This is a great song. Uh, it's a great ending. I'm saying great a lot, aren't I? It's a very good, excellent ending. Superb. Yes, you called? Uh, piss off, Sue. Okay. To side one. Can even forgive it the saxophone and the instrumental sections. It's a great piece of music all round. What a great summation of the album and primal therapy itself in just one line. Memories fade, but the scars still linger. That just says it all. Wonderful stuff. Well done, Roland. Yeah, this is great. God, I'm really great. Play this song, and they all are inside one apart from ideas as opiates. We don't care. And the side one. But did you play rugby at school? Yeah. Did you? Mm. But you didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Up until the point I got knocked out, and then I couldn't tackle anybody anymore, and that was it for me. I was uh, had to resign myself to timpani lessons. <laughs> that's Seriously? true. No, serious. I was excused games <laughs> for timpani lessons. So moving on to side two, we start. Actually, no, no. I just want to clarify something. That comedy bomb. You just heard. I did not ha add that for effect. Okay, that was that was part of the clip. That's from the scenes from the Big Chair video they released in 1985, which we'll cover in the next episode. But having said that, I mean, what 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 great comedy wouldn't be enhanced with a comedy bomb? I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. I'll have what she's having. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. So we start side two with Suffer the Children, the remade version. Suffer the Children. The first thoughts of that song came into my head when I was walking down the street and there was a mother and a child. 
um, the child fell over, like children do, and started crying. Instead of the mother picking it up and comforting it, she just sort of dragged it along with shh, shut. And that sort of got me thinking, and that's how stuff the children came back, just from that one incident. Playlist song. This is by the Roland Jangtrope. And this one again, it's another one where the lyric and melody perfectly mesh in their contradictory nature. Contradictory nature. It strangely makes me feel good musically. It's just, just so upbeat. And if you the instrumental track to this, it's just such a beautiful, bright, breezy pop song. It's just so full of zest and energy and just and with the, the la la la's sung by Ronan's wife Caroline girlfriend at the time probably just so pure there's a purity and a beauty to it and then you got the sorrow of the lyric and you make me think of little Little Gebby on the cover, you just want to give him a hug. Not, not in that Catholic church way, but in a really sincere, empathetic way that's like so sad. And it's that contrast that, that, that permeates the entire album and makes it work so, so well. Here's the thing, right? And I don't quite know how to explain this, but <clears throat> when I think of Roland, right? I always think of. <sighs> I don't know why. It's like he's got that innate sound. I think everybody has one defining sound, especially a pop star. Like with Peter Gabriel, it's... Hi. I always just think of... Hi. I'm sure he does that in songs. I'll insert one here now. Hi. That's my defining sound for Peter Gabriel. For Roland, it's... <laughs> just, I just... And I think this could be the most... Song... Vocal... Roland did... I imagine he did that a lot in the song, they just edited it out in between each line. There's a stuff there when there's no one there. He comes out in the night. <laughs> just me. Uh, it's not going to make a lot of sense to people. Okay, it's just me. Alright, so get us out there.
track seven, Watch Me Bleed. Uh, tears and Fears trope, this time Tears. That's about the Roland Jang trope. Yeah, there's the sample trope. Yeah, it's quite, quite an obscure one really for people to use. An album track from Tears and Fears, first album. It's Crime Time 1718 by... I, I, did, I initially found it and then wrote my notes and then recorded it. And I, originally I said MOP. I thought, oh no, it's not, it's an MOP. MOP, which of course is short for Mash Out Posse. And not as I first thought, Mike Oldfield's Plectrum. Is a better, better name for the band. Language Timothy. This is one that at the time kind of got lost in the shuffle a little. When I first got into them and liked this album, I dismissed this as the average track and kind of sort of skip over it, just not really listen to it as much. And I think this has aged really nicely. And I love that strum, that acoustic strum, you know, that beat pop song, that sound. This is a lovely sound to it, it admits of warmth. Which again contrasts with the song called Watch Me Bleed, Bleed Forever. If it bleeds, we can kill it. And again, another great middle section, another middle section of this song. It ramps up the tension. referencing of the hurting to solidify the concept probably the most underrated track on the album and a playlist song I think yeah it's a playlist song why not yeah 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 right I'm here with tears for fears and you're both looking chirpy despite the journey up tell me a bit you were telling me earlier that you weren't happy with the new single why um Difficult question, it was not supposed to say this. Uh, well, it's not really um, a definite representation of the music that we're sort of writing now. It's more, more sort of the old stuff we're writing, so we're not really that pleased it was released. Chief. So until then, you have to wait with bated breath to see them on tour, and now we have the wonderful video with no story behind it from Tears for Fears, it's Change. Just had to 
track eight, Change. Another hit single sung by Kurt. This is always my least favourite of the singles. Uh, yeah, it's still great. It's a playlist song. It's a, it's a good pop song. Uh, Roland has stated that he wrote this for his wife Caroline to sing, but Kurt liked it, so sang it. The bass line um, punctuates the melody effectively. I think it works really well. I do find the chorus a little rote, but it is a good song. I do like this one. There is an alternate version, listed as the new version. It's actually based on an original version produced by Mike Cowlett. It was deemed too slow. I did not have the time. I did not. shows how how well produced how well how good a job Chris Hughes and Ross Cullum did in, in in producing the album and really improving the songs a sample trope uh, quite a few for these went with a London beat no deeper meaning this is actually their single before Mr Vane which was a huge hit like a number one in the UK and in Europe this one did fuck all <laughs> I wonder why it's so early 90s it's painful to listen to almost carbon dates it to the month um no not having this one demonstrates why i might prefer the 80s there was something very charmless about the early 90s music wise pop music wise uh and this yeah lost me after the second bar What's this song called? This isn't bad, and it's a bad song. It isn't a bad song in itself, and it isn't. This isn't bad. It isn't terrible, but it is a B-side, literally and figuratively, and it should have stayed as such. And it is a clear ripoff. Sorry, inspired by Intruder by Peter Gabriel from Stern.
It's just too slight to justify being on the album. It's a bit, just a bit of noise really. And maybe they could have bulked up a couple of other songs and made it an eight or nine track album, like the next album to follow. It just, just stands out in a bad way. It just doesn't flow with the rest of the album. Track 10, start of the breakdown. Make a good double header with break it down again. With two ends. And the tears or fears trope. Tears this time. I do like the drum pattern. Just feel this needed a stronger treatment. It's all a bit sedated for a breakdown. Maybe this and Memories Fade should have been switched. It's definitely a side closer, but it's not really strong enough to close the whole album. I like this, but there isn't really enough to it really. Good, but not quite playlistical. And there we have The Hurting. I think this is a brilliantly produced record by Hughes and Cullum. You just have to compare to the originals released in 81, 82, or recorded in 81, 82. And you can, there's five you can make direct comparisons to. As there's early versions of Change, Pearl Shelter, Suffer the Children, The Prisoner, and Ideas as Opiates. You can make those direct comparisons if you wish.
next to each other. You can just see the improvement they made to the songs in production and arrangement. There are so many little embellishments in the arrangements that aid the songs and just give it that little bit extra. And the songs are great to begin with anyway, so you're just you're adding on to something that's already good. We took a long time to record The Hurting because at the time we were very precious. It was our life's work and our life's ambition just to do that album. We weren't very experienced and in both in performance and knowledge of the studio, so that all ended up dragging the whole affair out a long time. What I think of it now, um, I think it's got some good songs on. It's not as, looking back on it, it's not as tough and mature as I would have liked it to have been. So it's weird, it, it hangs together as well as it does. When you consider it's got two B-sides on it, and not just album tracks that became B-sides, but B-sides that became album tracks. So the, the Hurting came out in 83, and you've got a B-side from 1982 and from 1981, a B-side from two years previously that they re-record and put on the album. So there's obviously not a massive amount of material to go around, which is a running motif in the 80s, Tears of Fear's story. And yet what they had was so strong, and it works. We were 21 when, when The Hurting came out. It, it was strange. No one teaches you how to deal with fame. I didn't understand why people were screaming at me and thinking I was something amazing when I didn't feel that inside necessarily. You know, our album was called The Hurting. You know, and suddenly you have these young kind of girls and young people screaming at you and thinking you're amazing, yet the whole essence of the album is we're not amazing, we're in pain. Pain, that is the word. The distilled to the essence word of the album, the essence of primal therapy and of the hurting. Expressing pain, and on this album it is expressed repeatedly. number one LP, Platinum, in the charts for 65 weeks, and replaced Thriller at number one. Three hit singles in the top five in the UK, and a massive hit and hugely deserved. The Four Word Review, hey? Fantastically creative, unified debut. Playlist songs. Seven. There was pressure from the record company to bring out a single, which seems weird as they'd already had two hits in 1983 already. We got very much involved in our own home studio. We learnt all about reverb and EQ and all the things that kind of come in handy when you're in a recording studio. So much so that we sort of forgot about the song and we actually attempted making records without songs and then fitting songs in later to a bunch of interesting sounds. That resulted in a single called The Way You Are, which, if you analyse it, has some great bits in it, but uh, together it's pretty hard to get a hold of.
here is a record that's made on tour, which shows that there is more arrangement than the song here. The song is credited to four members of the band, or the four members of the band. Kurt Smith later described it as the worst thing they'd ever done, and in terms of albums and singles of the time, of this time period, he's probably correct. They have everything there in place, but an actual song. It's like they forgot to do the song. A weird thing was, I was a huge Tears of Fears fan in the 80s, but I never got around to hearing the song. Um, till the 90s. I don't know why that is, but didn't miss much. Bit of a dirge. In the video, though, what is Roland wearing? Check out his outfit when he's doing his, his, his weird, one of his weird dances. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. Yeah! So that concludes the first part of our TFF Odyssey. Next time, we should get into the mother load. The, the, the one thing, if we were to pick a fault in the hurting as we got a bit older and went out and played it live, was it was a little small and insular, and we wanted to get bigger and more expensive in sound, sonically in production, and also embrace the fact, you know, because we, we were known as a synth duo, and both of us are guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to embrace the whole guitar aspect of what we did, because yeah. that's what we actually naturally are. What is it? What is it? We've struck gold! Not fool's gold, but real gold. The mother load. The mother load. The mother of them all. But for now we shall part with this rather wonderfully plaintive cover of Suffer the Children from City and Colour. And lays bare just what a beautiful melody the song has. Until then, bonne nuit, my sweet Aetisographers. It's a sad affair when there's no one there He calls out in the night And it's so unfair At least it seems that way When you gave him his life And convince him Oh, just talk to him Cause he knows in his heart You won't be home soon He's an only child In an only room He's dependent on you He is dependent on you It seems so strange That at the end of the day Making love can be so good But the pain of birth What is it worth When it don't turn out the way it should Soon. He's an only child in an only room He's dependent on you He is dependent on you
B-Size Wino, there's not much, not much there really, and The Conflict. Conflict is one of those B-sides where it's like uh, the, the drum pattern is so intrusive you can't hear the song, it's just irritating. Reminds me of an Ultravox song, the name has slipped my mind again, which is like when I was a kid. But now I hear it, I just hear the... And that's all I can hear, and I don't even know there's a song there, I'm just like waiting for the next... When it's just a bit irritating. Slip my mind again. Oh, 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 your name has slipped my mind again. Oh, oh, oh. Ooh. Ooh. I've wanted to do this for three hours non-stop Your name has slipped my mind again Oh, 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 oh. Please review and give five star rating on iTunes or Dad will make me listen to more of this music. Thanks.